Welcome to Capital Conversations, the ERLC's podcast from Washington, D.C., where we aim to help Christians imagine a new way to engage in the public square. I'm your host, Jeff Pickering, and this week, Travis, Chelsea, and I are talking about the COVID vaccines with ERLC President Dr. Russell Moore. Dr. Moore, thanks for joining us on Capital Conversations. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, Dr. Moore, you have posted, we're, we're recording, and I should say this on the outset, we are recording on uh, Thursday, March 11th, which uh, we're going we're gonna to talk on the second half of this conversation about how this is uh, really, in many ways, people in the United States see March 11th as the one-year uh, anniversary for the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and uh, like like many of our family and friends uh, right now, you have received uh, a COVID vaccine. You got it earlier this week. You uh, you posted on social media. Uh, I'm not going to say what you posted, uh, but but uh, well, if you how put are you it feeling? that way, it sounds like I said something rude. <laughs> No, it's just, it's a joke you made. I'm not going to make it. Uh, um, but yeah, you got your, you got your vaccine. Folks can, I'll link to it in the show notes. Folks can go, uh, go check it out and uh, see. It's one of those really exciting pictures as I got from uh, the people in my life that I know have gotten it, whether they're healthcare workers or like my parents or grandparents. Uh, it's a pretty miraculous thing to post that picture of a COVID-19 vaccine card and you got it. Uh, you feeling all right? Everything went well with getting your vaccine? Yes. And I'll tell you, it was one of those uh, moments of great patriotism. To, to I was at a drive-through place, and you see here in a church parking lot with National Guardsmen uh, directing people through and healthcare workers providing a vaccine that came about in absolutely lightning speed, relatively speaking, with unbelievable efficacy. And you just think, what a what a great country this is that this could could happen and happen this way right i mean it it it's quite stunning that a year ago we didn't even really know what covid-19 was i remember thinking are we going to call this covid-19 are we going to call it coronavirus like what is the terminology that we'll use before we hit that you know this one year mark you've already had your vaccine and um i have friends in healthcare who had their vaccines before christmas last year i mean it's just it's just remarkable um so you know for i i'll also link to another resource in the show notes in case listeners didn't hear it um you interviewed dr francis collins uh last fall about this miraculous timing of uh the vaccines being developed and approved uh, but we want to talk specifically today about the about the ethics of vaccines because this third vaccine that was approved in the United States, the vaccine coming from Johnson and Johnson, it's it's likely to be, uh, according to the White House, according to public health experts, folks who know logistics in the country, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine really could be the game changer that really brings vaccine availability up for lots and lots of Americans. But it it has come into question by some in our pro-life community. And so you wrote recently in an article titled as a question that I'll just pose to you now, is the Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine unethical? No, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is not unethical uh, to receive. Uh, and I thought that the bishop's statement on this was confusing because they eventually said, yes, if you if you have uh, the choice between Johnson & Johnson and no vaccine, take Johnson & Johnson. It's not wrong to do it. But I think it was, was kind of confusing to people. 
although I love the bishops and, and work with them all the time on, on everything. Uh, but there are some people concerned about this because they will say, well, uh, the research that was done uh, to get the Johnson Johnson vaccine has more of a direct link to abortion uh, than, than the other vaccines do. And uh, my point is to say, uh, you can do two things simultaneously. You can say we ought to not do research that uh, is tied to um, abortion, and we can find other ways to do research. That doesn't mean, though, that you're saying we have to pretend as though we haven't uh, uh, discovered uh, scientific discoveries when they have come about uh, with some sort of uh, some sort of link there. But then, secondly, it's not a participation or a cooperation in terms of uh, abortion, even in the worst case scenario uh, here. So as, uh, as uh, our friend Joe Carter put it, I think the analogy is right. Uh, it's similar to if someone receives an organ transplant from someone who has been murdered. Um, the person who's receiving the transplant is not participating in the murder, is not justifying the murder. Uh, at all. That would be a different situation if someone said, you know, I really need a liver. I'm going to hire a hitman. Uh, that's unethical. But receiving the, the organ donation is not. And uh, the same thing is true in terms of all kinds of contingencies that we would, we would have. I think that uh, the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki in World War II doesn't meet just war criteria. Uh, so I, I don't think that that was the right thing to do, uh, although I understand why people at the time thought it thought it would be. Okay, that doesn't mean that I think we shouldn't honor our peace treaties with Japan uh, because it came about that way. And so there are all sorts of things that take place uh, in, in our lives where we would say, these discoveries or these events may have come about through unethical means, but that doesn't mean that we have to pretend that they don't exist. Um, Dr. Moore, thank you so much for writing that piece. And those analogies are extremely helpful as Christians um, seek to thoughtfully think through um, the issue of vaccines and um, you know the ethical and moral implications there. Um, I actually just pre-registered for my vaccine in DC, and I had the option to pick which vaccine I wanted. Again, I don't know if they'll be able to to honor that when I, I show up for the vaccine, but they did give me a choice. What would you say to folks that that don't have a choice um, and they're basically they're presented with one option and um, either say yes or no to that, what would you say to, to those people? Well, it would depend on whether the person is saying to me, I, in good conscience, believe that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is unethical. Okay, there are some people who may have those, those convictions. And what I would say on the basis of Romans 14 is don't violate conscience, uh, seek out one of the other vaccines and, and be vaccinated that way. That's not the question, though, that most people are asking. As a matter of fact, that's not the question that I've been asked by anyone at all. Instead, the question is, should I uh, have a, a conscientious objection to the Johnson & Johnson vaccine? So it's people are saying, I, I don't think that it's sin uh, for me to take the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, but am I wrong? 
And uh, what I would say to them is, no, I don't think that I don't think that you're in any way uh, violating um, God's will or, or these things in getting uh, in getting any of these vaccines. So it would really depend on what the person is is asking. And then the second part of it is there are all sorts of kind of practical and prudential, not ethical or moral, but practical and prudential questions that come up when someone says, I've got these choices. So one has two shots, or two of them have two shots, one has one, I make those decisions. Um, where is uh, where is the vaccine that's going to be nearest to me and most available? I mean, there are all of those sorts of decisions that have to be made as well. And I think the important point is to be vaccinated to, to get us on the other side of this. And so, you know, the other thing's kind of confusing to people sometimes is they'll look at the data and they'll say, well, you have a, a high effectiveness rate with these vaccines and maybe Johnson & Johnson is, is lower and so forth. But what the scientific data uh, shows to us is that all of the vaccines that we have right now are effective in terms of preventing death and uh, seriously bad uh, incidents of COVID-19. So the, the, the data can sometimes confuse people into thinking, well, am I only half protected if I have this one and I'm 90? And no, that's, that's just not the way that, that it works. Dr. Moore, I want to ask you about, uh, you, you know, we, we've touched on the use of uh, this, this cell line. And I, I want to sort of zoom out a little bit and ask you about fetal tissue research in general, how this works. Um, you know, this is a big part of the conversation that you had with uh, Dr. Collins that that's linked in the show notes. But um, talk to us a little bit about, you know, how, how Christians should think about fetal tissue research uh, and, and our advocacy on that front. Well, it's, it's sort of similar to there are some scientific discoveries uh, that came about, for instance, by horrific uh, practices done to enslaved people uh, or uh, other situations around the world. Uh, in some of those cases, things were discovered and found out about how the human body works that that doesn't implicate future generations in the act of doing that. What it would do is to say, uh, we have to not carry out that kind of research. So if, uh, if I'm getting uh, a heart procedure done and that heart uh, particular technique was discovered by someone who was working on political prisoners uh, in, in China doing unethical experimentation, that, that doesn't mean that my surgeon needs to say, I can't do this to save his life because of the way we found out about it. But it does mean that we have to say, we are not going to use uh, political prisoners for scientific research. And, and we're not going to stand for that. Um, so those are two completely different questions that take place. What are some things that, that Christians can be doing now to make sure that th those kinds of unethical practices cease? Well, a part of it is understanding uh, how they can happen. And, and a lot of it, uh, the problem is that these decisions are often made at such rarefied uh, levels of expertise uh, that sometimes people just don't even understand that they're going on. And so one of the things that has to take place is there has to be an awareness uh, of what goes into uh, various forms of research. Maybe the most important thing 
is that we have to have Christians who are shaped in the right way in terms of conscience who are going to be in those rooms. So we need to be cultivating Christian uh, physicians and medical researchers and scientists uh, and not be suspicious of them uh, within our churches so that you have people who have skill and who are, uh, who are, who are working in, in this area. I'm part of a, a book club uh, that gets together uh, every week and talks through things. And last night, one of the things I was thinking about, we were, we were talking to uh, Makoto Fujimura about his book, Art and Faith. And he was talking about some of the ways that artists uh, often are left out uh, when it comes to evangelical Christianity within our churches. And I was thinking, um, we had in the room a scientist and uh, an artist, and both of those uh, realities are often uh, feel as though they don't they, they don't have a place within the church, and yet that's exactly who we need, both the scientists and the artists, along with everybody else in these rooms. So part of that is a longer term uh, shaping of actually being there and doing ministry to medical students and pre-med students and uh, people who are going to be involved in research and then the policymakers who are going to be involved in that as well. Dr. Moore, I'm, I'm, I'm curious where you would say that the, the confluence of conspiracy theories throughout this pandemic and the anti-vaxxing fervor that just is, is just out there and it was there before COVID, it'll be here after COVID, but there was sort of this collision of those two, and it had a lot of people who normally wouldn't, I said had, it may still have, you know, increased fear among people who aren't normally prone to the anti-vaccine rhetoric or even conspiracy theories. What do you think that is? I mean, more, more broadly zooming out, why do you think there were so many people that were susceptible to conspiracies about the COVID-19 vaccines about the pandemic as a whole as we're, as we're looking back? Well, I would separate out sort of your hardcore uh, conspiracy theorists, uh, the people who, if you wear a mask, you're a sheep, um, which I think is an interesting shot to be taken from a Christian. You're a sheep. Yeah, Jesus right. told us we are. Uh, <laughs> and that's not a bad thing. Better than being a goat in Matthew 25. Uh, so th- that sort of uh, that sort of hardcore conspiracy theorist, which is really rooted in a number of things. There's a kind of a jolt of artificial life and specialness that comes with paranoia. Uh, I know what's really going on back behind the veil, and so you can have a sense of being special in that you know more than everybody else while at the same time exercising a sense of uh, loathing and anger toward other people, the people who are manipulating all this behind the scenes. So it it kind of gives people an artificial sense of uh, special revelation combined with belonging to a a body of of, uh, elect who are called out out of the world, uh, combined with a kind of artificial spiritual warfare. So it it all is meeting needs that have been given to us in the gospel, but in an artificial sort of way. And that's why some people are drawn toward it. Uh, So you separate those people out. 
from the other people who just are wondering what's going on. And see, this is what sort of divisive and schismatic people within the church have always known is you don't have to make a reasoned case so much as you simply have to keep sowing suspicion at something and you can create that suspicion. So, I mean, almost every church has seen the person who's uh, going around and saying in the Sunday school classes or saying at the um, at the coffee pot or whatever, you know, a lot of people have concerns about Pastor Jones. Are, 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 I'm just really worried about our church because a lot of people are just upset and they have concerns. And they know if you do that long enough, there's a certain kind of person who's going to say, well, I like Pastor Jones, but gosh, everybody else doesn't. And so what's going on? And so there can be this sort of paralysis that that takes place that can have really negative effects. And the same thing happens here where you can have people who they're not going down the wacko rabbit trails and they're not buying into all the uh, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. uh, anti-vaccine stuff. But they just know that there are enough people who are raising questions that they start to wonder, well, is it dangerous to get the vaccine? Is this something that's going to, to hurt me? And that actually can can do great damage to people's lives because then you'll have people who uh, maybe especially in vulnerable populations or people with connections to vulnerable populations who just sort of wait around uh, in terms of vaccination. And that can be an issue of life or death. Right. And this I, is quick, quick, a quick follow up on that. Um, sure. Go ahead, Travis. Dr. Moore, what do you what do you think is the half life on on some of this discussion? I mean, I I. I was in um, college at the University of Texas during 9-11. Alex Jones' radio show was broadcasting from Austin during that time. And, you know, I knew a lot of 9-11 truthers and and, uh, conspiracy theorists around, you know, Austin is a hotbed of all kinds of craziness, but it was certainly, you know, in that time, years after 9-11, uh, was was a hotbed for for those kinds of conspiracies, but but it all it died down. It's and it's um, you know it, it it certainly went underground. It wasn't as prevalent, you know, after you know just a relatively short amount of time. What do you think is the trajectory of of uh, of some of this stuff, the Bill Gates rumors and and so on? Well, conspiracy theories by definition uh, tend to move uh, from they they don't go away, but they they move to an entirely different uh, set of conspiracy theories while pretending that the other uh, that came before never happened. So you don't hear a lot, for instance, about fluoridation of the water uh, as some sort of uh, Soviet plot anymore for for two reasons. Uh, One, because fluoridation became ubiquitous and nothing happened, and also because there's not a Soviet Union uh, anymore. But the same people, those who are still living, who would have been drawn into sort of spreading the fluoridation of water stuff, just moved on to other things. And uh, so, I mean, I've seen this happen so many times, not just with the 9-11 truther stuff, but with the uh, supermarket scanners as Mark of the Beast was taking place when I was, uh, you know, a kid in a Southern Baptist church in the 1980s, uh, along with... Uh, the satanic uh, panic uh, conspiracy that there were all of these uh, daycare centers and 
and preschool networks that were run by the secret cabal of Satanists that were sacrificing children. Uh, very similar to what we see later on with the QAnon stuff. Um, and that, that eventually just migrated and it moved into, into something else. But there was a lot of money to be made in it. I mean, there were even, uh, I was at a, at a revival meeting with someone who was a converted Satanist who was now a Christian, he said, and he's coming in to tell everybody all of the secrets of what were going on behind the veil in this great Satanist movement, and later was revealed to have been a total fraud uh, in doing this. So there's a lot of money to be made in that. There's a lot of uh, fame to be had in that sort of stuff. So it migrates on from one thing to the other. So I don't think that when it comes to uh, vaccination, that that's going to be a very long-lasting thing, but it doesn't have to be in order to do great harm. Because, I mean, we're at a point right now where what matters is not just that that you get vaccinated, but that we get vaccinated uh, in large numbers as a society so that we can move forward with, with life. And that's, that's how it can do. It doesn't have to, it, it only has to be around for six months to do a lot of damage to people. Is is uh, the volume of and the presence of conspiracy theories, what I've heard you say in other meetings that we have or podcasts or other commentary that you've offered on all this, the conspiracy theories themselves and the popularity of them doesn't really surprise you, but it and, and maybe that's just because you're a more astute cultural observer than the rest of us and have been following this stuff longer, but it surprises me and I think it's surprised a lot of us. So does it if the volume is increased, do you think that's because of the profits that stand to be made, whether that profit is actually financial or clicks through social media uh, and cable news and politicians being able to win primaries, stoking their people on conspiracies? I mean, is there something different or are we overreacting here? And I, and I know for the sake of vaccines, you know, you're you, you've made that point, and it's, and it's exactly right, that it doesn't have to have a long half-life to be very destructive. But is the volume increased? And if so, is it because of those things? In some ways, this has always existed. And it's one of those things that you see going all the way back to the Gospels and the Book of Acts, uh, where there will be, uh, for instance, a Pontius Pilate doesn't, from all we can see, really believe that Jesus is an insurrectionist doesn't think that he's uh, deserving of, of murder, but he's responding to a lot of pressure, not, not so much from the, the crowds because they don't have any authority over him as the idea that he might be seen as disloyal to Caesar. So in order to prove his uh, Roman empire bona fides, he, he is willing to go along with this uh, conspiracy theory that led to the, the crucifixion of Christ by the Roman Empire. So that part of it, that, that has always uh, been the case. Uh, and you're always going to have some leaders who want to charge up a crowd with conspiracy theories and other leaders who want to see where the crowds are and get in front of them as their leader. You know, that, that's always happened. <laughs> right. What's different is that there is a social media ecosystem that is able to make that stuff travel uh, so much faster, along with two things that have happened. The breakdown of trusted institutions uh, in uh, American life, 
People don't read the same things. They don't listen to the same things. So there's no real arbiter to come in and say, this is nonsense. And here's why. Because now, and I deal with this all the time, if I'm dealing with some uh, person who's believing something totally insane, uh, the moon landing didn't happen. And I show NASA studies demonstrating that the moon landing happened. The, the response is, yeah, that's NASA. That's how deep the conspiracy goes. Uh, you know, uh, I'm funded by George Soros. Uh, I can show you my bank statements. And uh, I, I, I've, I'm still waiting for the check from uh, George Soros. <laughs> and I can show you the roots of this anti-Semitic sort of conspiracy theory that takes place that identifies everything as going back to some secret cabal of Jewish people. Uh, and, and the response is, well, yeah, but that's in the mainstream media. And so it, it's all happening secretly in a way that you can never see or identify. Uh, that's always been the case. But when you have a breakdown of institutions uh, that are able to be trusted, that's going to lead to that. Um, and then the second thing is you don't have communities of belonging in such a way. I mean, there have always been the people who are kind of on the margins of a community. They're lonely. They're, they're trying to find their sort of place in life and they're drawn to wacky conspiracy theories of the right or the left. They're, you know, uh, up there uh, trying to identify the Zodiac killer or uh, have UFO sightings everywhere or something along those lines. That's, that's always been the case. But for most people, that's not an option because they're embedded in larger families and churches and communities. We're living in a time now where increasingly that's not the case. And uh, most people are to some degree or the other isolated and lonely. And that leads to all kinds of bad things. Um, we had uh, Yuval Levin on late last year to talk about institutions. And I would, uh, we'll drop a link to, to that episode in the show notes, but excellent um, full interview on institutions. I'm really glad you touched on that. Um, I want to zoom out even further. Um, we talked at the beginning, we are coming up at the the one year mark of the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, we still have the newspaper from March 13th in our office when we kind of like an apocalyptic movie packed up and went home very quickly. Um, but want to just ask you what your what your reflections on the past year are. Um, what's happened in the past year that's surprised you? Well, I remember at the beginning of this, I always thought this was going to be a long haul. Uh, I didn't I didn't necessarily think a year, but I thought it was going to be a very, very long haul. And I was trying not to say that in in my house because what I what I knew was I was going to create a lot of anxiety at the dinner table if I said this. So what what I tried to do was to take things in three to four week week increments. And that would help some of the more anxious people in my house sort of they can deal with three and four weeks. And I wouldn't talk about uh, what would go on after that. So, you know, when one of my kids would say, well, you know, by Easter, this will all be gone, right? Um, well, <laughs> yeah, so so that uh, that was part of it at the very beginning. What has surprised me is how resilient uh, some aspects of uh, American life have been uh, when it comes to, to suffering through a pandemic like this. And, and also because 
Um, I mean, one of the things that was said at the very early uh, moments of the pandemic that worried me, uh, I was talking to a friend who's an expert on the 1918 uh, Spanish flu epidemic. And he was talking about studies that that uh, show why there were no uh, monuments. You know, we have monuments to World War One and monuments to World War Two. We have all sorts of stuff on the Great Depression, but very little uh, memory of the Spanish flu. And the argument was it's because people aren't proud of the way that they acted during the Spanish uh, flu. It, it brought out in many people the worst aspects uh, of themselves. And so I was really worried about the combination of uh, a pandemic with the already toxic sort of breakdowns that we have happening in American life, leading to some really, really awful scenarios that didn't happen. You had some aspects of the worst parts of people that came out, but you also had some aspects of the best part of people that came out in ways that were pleasantly surprising. So I, I want to take that point that you just made and, and kind of bring it into the context of the church. Our, our, our church right now, our, our pastors are, are going through a, a series that they're calling COVID exposures, which still kind of gives me a, a bit of a you know, ick as soon as I <laughs> I see those two words together, but yeah. just kind of reminding, you know, working through just the basics, you know, why do we need each other in community? You know, why do we need to gather together in churches? You know, just to remind us of these very basic and fundamental things. In in your, you know, as you're sort of looking at, you know, the last year and how the, how the church has responded and risen to the challenge, uh, but also maybe you know, miss the mark in, in terms of uh, in terms of our response. What are what are some of the lessons you think we need to be drawing from this, and 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 how you know how do we, how do you think we need to where where do you think we need to grow uh, as we as we begin to move to the other side of this pandemic? Well, one of the things that I've had to spend a lot of time saying to people in the secular world, uh, journalists and scientists and researchers and others who don't have a lot of connection with religious people is that in almost every case, uh, pastors and leaders handled this not just rightly, but heroically. Uh, And so what they're seeing are the sort of theatrical expressions of kind of uh, professional attention-getting forms of religion that will say things like, well, if you just blow out into the audience, COVID is blown away. Or um, if you're covered in the blood of Christ, you can't get COVID. Or uh, we're not sheep. We're going to gather unmasked and 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 just pile in all together. And COVID's a hoax. I mean, you see those things that have have happened, but they're with a tiny, tiny fragment of uh, of the American religious uh, ecosystem. And what you see, for the most part are pastors and leaders who have been doing the right thing, not just in terms of their churches, but also serving in their communities, caring for homeless people who are infected with COVID that nobody else wants to be around, uh, ministering to people in nursing homes who are completely cut off from their, uh, from their families, being there with people who are dying uh, with, with COVID and, and helping grieving families. That's what's been the majority report. Those people, that 98, 99% of, of pastors and leaders don't call press conferences. And, uh, you know, you, they're not going to be found because they're, they're serving the Lord the way they're supposed to be. 
So that's, I think, something that people haven't really seen. And I think that what we're going to have to see in terms of church life that we don't know yet is what's the long-term implication going forward when you have uh, a lot of churches that have sort of been uh, ripped apart by some of these conspiracy theories that we're talking about by, you know, some of the, just the most minimal things like wearing masks uh, when you're, when you're uh, gathered together and social distancing and, and what have you, what's the long-term effect of that? So I could see it going one of two ways. I could see this time of COVID accelerating secularization in some areas because you have people who have maybe been distant from the church for a while and have decided they like it. And then when they see the sort of stuff that's going on within the church, they don't want to go back. That could happen. Or you could have the COVID year as being a kind of Lent where uh, because people have been deprived, at least in, in many significant ways, of some aspects of community, that it creates a longing for that and a, a new sense of appreciation for it. It really could go either way. So I don't think we know yet when we look back, is the COVID year of 2020, 2021 going to be Lent or is it going to be Mardi Gras? And I don't, I don't think we know the answer to that yet. It's hmm. a good word. Well, Dr. Moore, thank you so much for joining Travis, Chelsea, and me here on Capital Conversations. And uh, thank you and others like uh, like Francis Collins and Walter Kim of the National Association of Evangelicals and and all those uh, leaders of faith who have uh, who have tried to help a, a hurting nation see that this shot really is our way out of the pandemic and back to normal life. So uh, thanks again for uh, your articles on this and for uh, talking with us today here at Capital Conversations. Thanks for having me, Jeff. If you enjoyed today's show, send a link to this episode to a friend or family member in your community who you've been talking about these issues and the COVID vaccine with. Uh, Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode wherever you are listening. Resources from today's episode uh, that we mentioned throughout the conversation, the articles, previous previous podcast interviews, they're all available in the show notes and always at ERLC.com. Thanks so much for joining us today, and we look forward to being back together with you next week.